idea was, um, what if Penelope from the Odyssey, the famous symbol of faith and love, what if she, in fact, had life um, during those 20 years in waiting for the Odysseus to come back or not to come back, to be alive or not to be alive, to have been faithful or not? So what if, if she was not necessarily just sitting at home and crying and weaving and unweaving in an effort to kind of repel all the love and affection that was coming her way, but what if she actually allowed herself to have a life and to have love and to have emotions and to have um, needs and to essentially keep herself alive, essentially, uh, emotionally, sexually, uh, for the time when Odysseus actually does come back and not find, like, you know, a miserable old lady who killed herself in waiting and not having, you know, not having had anything um, to keep her alive. And so um, we have decided that Penelope actually had multiple lovers that she had uh, um, welcomed, invited, or, or, or welcomed people in her life. And through those relationships, she kind of learned learned a lot about herself and, and, and kept, kept her body and soul and emotion vibrant and alive and alert. And um, so the story in our version happens at the, at the moment when, Pen when Odysseus comes back home and um, they see, they, when I say they, I'm talking about Penelope and various girlfriends with whom she is telling this, this story and with, with whom the opera is presented. So they see Odysseus somewhere on the horizon coming back on his ship and they are like, oops, he's coming home. What do we do? What do you do, Penelope? And she, um, he comes in, they have, they make love, she falls asleep and she starts remembering the 20 years and remembering the experiences that she has had and people that she met and lessons that she's learned and conflicts that she had. Basically, that's the opera. The opera happens in one moment or that one night when she remembers her life and, uh, in, and is asking herself, what do I how do I tell him? How do I tell him about this tapestry of love that I've had in his absence and how will he fit in to it himself? And when I said tap tapestry of my life and my love, it's symbolic, but it's also kind of very literally kind of presented in a, in a piece uh, in a way that Penelope was cutting off locks of hair of her lovers and what she was weaving throughout the book was actually a huge blanket made out of these um, locks of hair. And uh, basically, she, um, when she, she also took, took, a, took a lock of Odysseus's hair and as in weaving it into the blanket, she was she continually asking her a question, where do I weave his hair? basically asking, where do you fit in my life? And will you be able to accept me as I did you? And will we live, you know, happily ever after, but fully and, and with, you know, deserving of our lives independently and together. It's also, you know, it's, it's what's already in the book, but ours, uh, ours put, put in like, we fill in the blanks. We're putting in the, the things that are not in the book, in the book.
Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, obviously it's not just mythology that has a long, long, long tradition of telling things from the man's point of view. Um, you know, opera itself, <laughs> needless to say, right. uh, has a whole long list of female characters that are, you know, um, not strong people. I mean, so I think that's great. Yeah, let's minimize all of that male bloodshed, blah, 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 you know, and focus on the other things. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there, before she, she wakes him up to tell him that, there was a, she asked herself two, two final questions because she's like, the main question that she keeps asking herself is like, where would I weave his hair? And then she goes, where do I weave his hair? Where will I weave, weave his hair? Meaning, should I tell him? I will tell him. I'm telling him. That's basically the trajectory. That's the action that happens. But then in the last, right before he wakes him up, she wakes him up, she says like, will you be able to um, uh, join the others while you're still my, my favorite one? Like, I love you the most. You're my love. But like, you have to share this blanket. Or will you walk out this door never to come back again? So in our version, like there's no slaughtering, but she'll she, he'll either stay or, or he'll be like, it's too much. I'm out of here. Yeah, I like that. And I was just thinking because fidelity is central to the Odyssey. I mean, the you know, but it's female fidelity because the bed that he makes has the, the posts that are like actual living trees, right? To symbolize fidelity. But of course, as, as I've heard you say before, we have no idea what he was doing during the Trojan War. We have some idea what he was doing afterwards and it wasn't being loyal to her, you know, so. Right. Right. <laughs> and we found that it was actually ironic. A lot of the pieces in the opera kind of like happened and then we rediscovered like hidden truths about it. So the fact is like he made his own, he, he made that bad. So he basically set up the scene for her and her lovers. So that's one thing like, okay, I, you can't bo oh, both give me a bad and then tell me not to use it. Like, if you don't want me to, you know, to use this bed for sex and for love and for pleasure, then like take it with you. But he makes the bed and then she's like, okay, well, this bed is made for loving. I guess I'm loving it. So that was a fun discovery that we found. It's also the fun, a fun discovery that, that happened uh, is that the first lover that she's had was a gardener. So it's just like, we, well, I don't, I mean, some of it, I never know. I never know when these things happen, whether they are subconscious or they're really like coincidences. But, uh, but yeah, there, there, there have been many moments where we would find, find things like the last lover that she mentions is a woman. And the woman is, she's, she's got both, she had mo both men and women, more men. But the last one was a woman and the one who, who kind of saved her is like, she was the one to, pu to push her and say, you know, like protected, 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 and gave her the courage to continue on his on her path the way she she does. That's the very opening of a new opera called Penelope and the Geese by Milica Paranosic. This is an opera that uh, completely retells the Odyssey, the Odysseus myth, now from Penelope's perspective, and it was part of my conversation with Milica about the piece as well. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. Uh, Melissa invited me recently to listen to the entire opera, Penelope and the Geese. And it was a fascinating experience because I've heard bits and pieces of this opera over the last couple of years. And so it was really great to be able to hear it all in one place. And I was thinking about how important this work is to go back and revisit these old myths that are undeniably fascinating, that reveal keen insights into humankind, into the psychology of human beings, but are also undeniably told from the male perspective. And the female perspective is oftentimes relegated, well, almost always relegated to an inferior 
uh, position in, in the myths, oftentimes very inferior. And so I think this is a great thing that uh, writers and composers are doing to revisit these myths. Of course, in literature, you can think of Madeline Miller as the one who comes to mind immediately. Uh, Circe treads a lot of the same ground as Penelope and the Geese uh, about the enchantress, so to speak, but it's from her perspective in the Odyssey. Uh, or uh, Madeline Miller also has uh, a new book out, Song of Achilles. And then there's Judith Butler's Antigone's Claim. Antigone is uh, the daughter of Oedipus, so that's from her perspective. And uh, I think the, uh, you know, the, the one that kind of started it all in some respects is uh, Margaret Atwood's The Penelope Ad, also from Penelope's perspective. So on the program today, I'm going to focus mostly on Penelope and the Geese because I had the great chance to uh, actually speak with the composer, with Militza. But I want to play music, too, from Marisa Michelson's Nema's Ark. Uh, Nema it was the wife of Noah, so that's from her perspective. And a little bit from Salvatore Scarini's La Nuova Eurydice, about Eurydice, who was the uh, wife or lover, I don't actually know which, of uh, Orpheus. And she's the one who he went down into the underworld to save. And then on the way back, wouldn't you know it, she looked backwards and had to stay in the underworld. And I think there's a kind of implicit blame on, on her. She's the one who looked backwards. She's the one who got stuck in the underworld in the first place. And so that's uh, kind of recontextualizing that myth from her point of view. Let's hear some more from uh, Militza Paranosic's opera, Penelope and the Geese. So I'm going to start up right where I left off at the beginning, the, the arrival of Odysseus after all this time, after 20 years, and uh, the reaction. There's this kind of Greek choir that uh, is made up of women, and they, they react to his, uh, his presence. Penelope is glad to see him, I think. Uh, the others are kind of, uh, <laughs> I'm not making fun of him per se, but uh, who is this guy? He's been gone a long time. And then uh, I'm going to fade that down and we'll go a little bit further up in the opera where Penelope discusses her first lover, the gardener Isaac. Oh, 
that is mine, not his.
I think two, two things that are, that are interesting apart from the time, which I, I think is like one of the most interesting things in the opera. But two other interesting things are the instrumentation, I think, because we use only six. It's a very small, it's the smallest thing I've ever done. Not really, but yeah, kind of. Because uh, um, it has uh, three instrumentalists only, but they alternate between modern and ancient instruments. And then we have six singers and six, seven singers, six that are the chorus, but also each has a solo or an aria or a main character, and then Penelope. But then the chorus is also written in such a way that it's meant to be multiplied by community, like by, by, by the women wherever we travel. We were going to work with the local women to sing with us. So therefore, we are kind of sharing this with, you know, not just, not just people casting the opera, but with a global female voice, because I feel like the message is not necessarily, it's old, but it's new. It's, uh, you know, it's in English, but it's not only, you know, there's, there, there are, there are a few words. I was, I was, I, I was um, initially thinking there will be multi, like multi-language also, but we, we decided not to, but like we will definitely have moments of it through the chorus. More from my conversation with Milica Paranosic. And before that, we heard the opening of Penelope and the Geese. And then we heard Penelope talking about one of her lovers, Isaac. And again, the central premise of this opera is that Penelope has not been just sitting around waiting for her Odysseus to come back. She's had a life uh, and she's had lovers and she's made this tapestry from locks of their hair. And now she's wondering not only does how does, uh, not only how does Odysseus fit into her life, but how does he fit into this tapestry? She's a weaver, as you may recall. And in the original tale, uh, there are all of these suitors who are waiting uh, to marry her uh, and, and take her riches, I guess. <laughs> and uh, she says, I will marry you when I finish this tapestry. And every day she works on the tapestry and every night she pulls the threads out of it. So in uh, Militza's version of Penelope and the Geese, the tapestry is actually the locks of hair from her lovers. I want to mention the uh, co-producers of this opera as well. The music is being conducted by Myla Henry, wonderful opera conductor. And the libretto is by Sherry Magid. And Suzanne Bennett is the co-producer of the opera. Of course, no opera happens from just one person alone. Let's jump up to the last few minutes of the opera because I think the ending is particularly powerful. <laughs> Oh! 
getting. That broke my heart. Odysseus, I have something to tell you.
I love that ending. Uh, she uh, <laughs> taps him on the shoulder, so to speak, and says, uh, I have something to tell you. And we don't know what the answer will be. I think it's a fantastic way, a uh, great uh, dramatic ending to the piece. That's Penelope and the Geese by Milica Paranosic, and a kind of a sneak peek of uh, the opera there. Hopefully you'll be able to hear the whole thing soon. Uh, I'm sure that she has plans to release it soon, but uh, I, I've been living with it the last uh, oh, year and a half, maybe two years or so, and it's been fascinating to, uh, to watch it develop, watch it come to life. Let's turn to this piece by Marisa Michelson called Nema's Ark. Uh, again, this is told from the perspective of Nema, Noah's wife, who we don't hear about in the Bible really at all. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament, women are just really the bearers of children, uh, preferably male children. <laughs> but uh, I really like uh, the idea here. I like what she's done. Uh, obviously, Nema would have been uh, hugely instrumental and important in this monumental task of uh, taking, you know, representatives of human and animal life off into the great unknown during this, uh, this flood. I have two excerpts that I want to play, and uh, these are choral excerpts. We're going to hear the master voices conducted by Ted Sperling. The music is by Marisa Michelson, and she worked for the libretto with Royce Vavrick, who is a very, very busy librettist. We're going to hear him away and Merman's song from Nema's Ark. Oh, uh-huh. 
Two movements of Name is Ark by Marisa Michelson. We heard him away and then Merman's song. Pretty reminiscent, at least for me, of Leonard Bernstein. Uh, parts of that remind me of the mass in, in a really good way. I really like the writing. I love the choral sound there. And I love this idea of presenting anything from the Old Testament from a female point of view. If there's anything the Old Testament could use, it's more of a, of a viewpoint uh, from a woman. My goodness. Uh, so yeah, that's wonderful music by Marisa Michelson. I'm hoping that uh, more of that will be released from Nema's Ark. The last thing that I want to play is uh, the, the new Eurydice, as it were, by Salvatore Scarini. And this was a recent performance in Carnegie Hall featuring the great Barbara Hannigan in the role of Eurydice. Again, this is uh, from her perspective. So we hear her describing the perils of, of the descent to the underworld, all of the things that... Uh, she undergoes and uh, you know again elucidating the idea that uh, she didn't bring this upon herself this isn't something that you know uh, some girl went out there and got herself in trouble and had to be rescued it's, it's a different concept uh, which I think again is, is much needed so um, it's in Italian so I'm not gonna play too much of it uh, but there's a wonderful dramatic opening if you know Scarini's music he has this incredible gestural music language musical language that I really respond to, uh, especially, I think, when he's writing something kind of dark like this, like a descent to the underworld. Uh, so let's play the opening, oh, maybe about eight or nine minutes. And uh, I mean, of course, I can hear Barbara Hannigan sing in any language and we'll be quite content. There's a lot of extended techniques in the vocal writing here, uh, which is her specialty, and she handles it marvelously. So this is Barbara Hannigan as Eurydice describing this eerie trip into the underworld. <laughs>
Music by Salvatore Scarini from La Nuova Eurydice, or the new Eurydice. Beautiful, wonderful music. I am a big fan. Uh, again, uh, th- this whole thing is out there on the internet. Uh, so if you don't mind that it's in Italian, <laughs> I-, I think it's well worth a listen. Again, I-, I just, I love Barbara Hannigan. She's fantastic. So that's Barbara Hannigan in the role of Eurydice. That's three pieces on the program today, recontextualizing ancient myths. There will be many more. This is a topic that we'll return to at Relevant Tones. And Relevant Tones is a production of Access Contemporary Music, a nonprofit organization with the mission of bringing musical creativity to life every day. For Relevant Tones, I'm Seth Bosted. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>